Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. We are so lucky, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, I'm lucky because I get to talk to him directly, but you're lucky because we get to ask him questions and I will try my best to ask a question that you would want to get an answer to. His 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 name is Neil Seaman and he is an extraordinarily talented man. He's worked all over the country, all over the world. He's worked in AI. He has a, he's a visionary. He's worked with some of the smartest people on the planet. He does a lot of uh, uh, papers and he as a matter of fact, um, Neil, you just did a a talk in front of and I forgot who that was again. Who was that? Hi there, Kevin. It's great to be with you and your guests. That was in Bethesda, Maryland, at the National Institute of Health and the National Institute on Drug Abuse in Bethesda. And we were talking about whole trust and innovation in the workplace. And it was a special annual lecture there. And it was really exciting to see scientists um heavily engaged in the theme that I care about um, the most, which is innovation and mental health. Well, and I want to thank you for being here because um, and I, I was so excited to have you here. I jumped right into asking a question without even uh, giving you the, the the just do that you are and, and to say, Neil uh, Seaman is with us. And, and Neil, how are you today? <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Kevin. I'm well. I'm in Toronto. Um, I yeah, and the weather is, is is sunny here. We're getting very un-Canadian weather. Um, and so, yeah, no, I'm in a good spot. Thank, thank you very much um, uh, for having me today. Now, are you thinking that it's good weather because it just happens to be? Or do you think there's a, that, see, where I live in Seattle, I've lived here my whole life, climate's changing. I, I don't know how anybody can really deny it, but it, it's different than it used to be. Uh, if you go back and stuff. So is it different in in, in Toronto now th- than it was years ago? Yes, <laughs> very much. <laughs> in a word. I mean, we just clocked, a, you know, a historic record for the hottest day and just the two, I think two days ago in our city. And, and this is a regular occurrence uh, in our city in terms of heat, uh, all sorts of animals. We have a, a and I, I, I cannot speak to the science of this, but uh, we're seeing a surfeit of rabbits uh, in our in our in our multi generations of rabbits, I should say, uh, on our lawn, uh, in our backyard. I mean, th- these are just things that we just don't see uh, in Toronto. But th- there are a range of things that certainly um, would suggest that um, uh, that th- things are, are are changing. And and our city, uh, I don't know how much you, if you've been here, Toronto. Uh, yeah. yeah, Toronto is great. It's just a tremendously different city than it was even um, fifty years ago uh it's got the highest percentage of uh first generation uh, uh new immigrants uh, more so than new york city now um it, incredibly diverse city uh very exciting city but but often people are worried that it's kind of growing too fast well that that can happen and then you end up if you start getting tense along the side of the street then you know you're growing too fast um when when the uh homeless population grows. But in any event, you have been doing so much in, in your, in your time, you had kind of, kind of run down all of the things and all of the folks that you've worked with over your time and also the books you've written. 
Yeah, thank you, Kevin. Um, so uh, yeah, on the book side, I've written a number of books that nobody really read. <laughs> all, focused on, all focused on mental health, published through academic publishers. And then about six months ago, I published the first general audience book called Accelerated Minds, uh, looking at the brains of, of entrepreneurs in particular, marrying the, the work of my late father, uh, Philip Seaman, uh, a dopamine scientist, uh, and, and my own observations in the entrepreneurial world. And then in my academic work, I focus on public health and mental health at the University of Toronto. Um, and I work uh, with researchers in all, what's called alternative data, uh, looking at a whole range of really challenging um, uh, topics uh, in, in different faculties, math, public health, uh, law, uh, you name it. And you're also getting involved with things like AI and, and some modern technology and how we're gonna where we're gonna go in the next three or four or five years yeah i'm i'm you know i i i've been sort of you know sitting peripherally <laughs> uh trying to learn i should say about uh about machine learning uh about new ways of of of, of looking at the masses of data online i'm also very interested in the future of monetizing uh, the internet. Uh, we're at a really exciting time in in history. Uh, I, I, you know, it, I, I've learned that it was sort of an accident of history that uh, the internet is an ad fueled ecosystem, and uh, that that I suspect is going to change um, with a whole range of new technologies, uh, blockchain, AI, and and a whole range of technologies that can just help. Let's just call it help content creators monetize their work in, in a new way. Can we focus on that for a little bit? Because that that is really exciting to hear that from being what I would like to consider myself a content creator, um, and that it is very difficult in the, in these circumstances today to monetize a podcast to really make it uh, uh, make it work for a, a large number of them. A few of them have done well, like the Joe Rogans of the world and and some of those, uh, but a lot of them come and go. You've heard of podcast fade. Um, mm -hmm. The statistics are the ninety-seven percent of podcasts fade after twenty or twenty-five episodes because they don't get the reach. And a lot of it has to. And you, we talked about it before the show. A lot of it has to do with the algorithms that are being conducted out there, and they're driving some folks to success, other people out of business. Am I right in that at all? Yeah, and it's not just it's not just podcasting. It's sort of any field of of, of human creation, right? So uh, in the world of books, right? You know, we have such a short shelf life and and short termism. Uh, as actually uh, my 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 recent book uh, that led me to examine in great detail, uh, exhaustive detail, I should say, um, the, uh, the the ways of of the Amazon algorithm and its third party seller structure and you know it's it's a very interesting time um because the way these algorithms work is they they concentrate and they self-perpetuate such that there's this concept right the superstar effect so something will rise uh to a moment of fame and then it it self-perpetuates and there's all sorts of 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 um uh, let's just say incentives to just bubble bubble something to the top and, and have it live a very ephemeral moment, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a book, 
Um, and so what we need to do is elongate that. We need to stretch that to empower uh, to empower creatives like yourself. Um, and I think we can do that uh, in, in particular with uh, microfinance. I, I'm not, uh, my, sorry, uh, micropayments. Uh, I, I should not, I'm not an expert, but it's tremendously exciting. But it's it, it, it was a model that was, um, that was prophesied early in the days of the web. I was an early web investor, as you know. I was drawn to the internet, uh, the commercial web in, in the mid 90s. And we all talked about how micro payments, small payments, right? Anywhere from a, 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 a you know ten cents to two cents to a fraction of a cent, uh, could pay for a news, could pay for um, web engagement of all sorts, as long as you had a sort of mastery and autonomy over how you would pay. Um, and, and so, and and that that ecosystem is changing, and and I think that's a that's an exciting time to kind of fight back at the algorithms because the algorithms are created by well help me here because i'm not even sure i hear the term algorithm but i can't tell you who created them how they change i know that they keep a deep dark secret of what they do with them and how they change and stuff how does it all work how do they do this well we're only starting to find out um so the wall street journal just uh uh, today or yesterday broke uh broke a story some redacted parts of the ftc uh case uh, against uh, amazon looking at precisely this um uh, and their initiatives and uh, you know uh, and 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 how 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 it's done essentially in terms of it, the, the 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 very high frequency like in high frequency finance um the high frequency way in which um the content creator doesn't even have time to react to the price change to change the price and so it's it's really all about at the end of the day it's all about making money um now it, what's fascinating is people make the analogy between high frequency trading and the algorithms say that um you know youtube uses or 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 um or amazon uses but it's a little different because in the case of high frequency trading on wall street it's kind of interesting because it does theoretically benefit a universe of of institutions theoretically um you know who want to diversify their portfolio or invest or what have you but in the case of like in the case of amazon and some of the big tech companies it it actually serves really i mean primarily to um benefit themselves commercially but we don't short answer we don't really know kevin we're just kind of finding out now and and that's why i'm so interested in the current uh ftc uh, case you know it's interesting because uh the 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 uh, uh screenwriters guild just settled uh the actors are still out and then you've got this thing that's going on are you familiar with how what's happening in the music business Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, and then also, we, well, I mean, there's a big strike now is the healthcare workers in America have just, uh, have just and stepped up. And, and, the, and the auto workers are going out as well. There's a, there's a big push because the wages have stayed stagnant apparently for way too long, I guess. And, uh, um, and, all, and people are unhappy with it. And it's just like the, um, the, the it has, I can't understand a system by which you as a creator, I've got a good friend who is a uh, musician, he's a uh, songwriter, he does all of that, and he does it really, 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 really well. And so he, he submits stuff to things like uh, 
Spotify. Sure. And then he makes literally pennies, on not even pennies for every play. He might make a percentage of a cent per play. He'll do half a million plays and get $60. And how is that sustainable? Is it sustainable? No. Um, you know, it's funny. I, the, the one, the, the one uh, semi-reality show, if it's a reality show, uh, I'm not sure that that uh, my wife and I watch is uh, The Voice, right? And in the context of, I love that. I mean, in the context of music, people... People sort of understand. I mean, if you just asked a random person on the street, okay, what are the odds of of of, of making it uh, in, in music? You know, most people will say, "Oh, look, it's a far fetched odds." I mean, one in a one in x x million, whatever, to 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 really really make it, get a hit record and such. And, and, and but you know, in other areas of of arts, uh, you know, in my family, we have we have sculptors, we have uh, we have poets, we have a whole range of creatives. Um, people are, are less familiar with the struggle and, and also, um, as I learned in my book on entrepreneurs, they're, they're less uh, familiar with the concept that content creators are your classic entrepreneurs. You know, we, we think yes. the media likes to present entrepreneurs as people like Steve Jobs and Elon Musk, but the reality is that your typical entrepreneur is very far from that. And and artists um, that you know, people you may have heard of uh, one of our greatest artists, Neil Young. I, I often hold him up as 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 a classic entrepreneur. So yep. musicians are are people who take you know they 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 take risks, controlled risks. They like to innovate, um, and uh, they are they are entrepreneurs, and they're all small business people in many ways. And. Um... Speaking of uh, Neil Young, he didn't he pull his uh, catalog from Spotify because he uh, yeah. because of some of the business practices and some of the folks that they were promoting and that he didn't think was appropriate for them to be doing. So he pulled his catalog, but that's a l real limited thing that he can do to them uh, versus what they can do to him. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, he's a he he in my books and, and 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 the way I articulate it. I mean, he's a he's a real classic values based entrepreneur. He he's a fascinating individual. I mean, he has holds many patents. He he sort of led a a, a toy train uh, a company, and he, he he invented many many fascinating things. He was in and out of bands all his life. Um, and and so he's a values-based entrepreneur, so it makes sense in his context um, beyond, of course, his commercial uh, ability to do that. Yeah, because he's he's everywhere these days, uh, isn't he? And he's he's uh, done he's done really well for himself, and uh, um, he's getting old now. I I hate to see these guys get old. I just love to see them uh, play in their heyday and stuff. But in any event. Can't do anything about that unless unless you know something I don't know. Can you do no, something about I'm, I'm not familiar with how, how, to, how to undo that process. But uh, well, you've been working with folks that, you know in the healthcare business for a long time, so maybe there's something under the covers or under the blanket that you can share with us. I'm not aware of anything that's real. That's real. Um, uh, at the same time, though, I, I am of the view uh, that uh, in our society we put far too much emphasis on um, you know success when you when you're young in particular in the arts by the way i mean whether it's books whether whether it's music you know everyone wants the hot new talent the first 
somebody's first book, somebody's first work of fiction, somebody's first, um, you know, hit, um, you know, the, I don't know, in America, I don't know if you have this thing, we have them in Canada, they call the top, the top 30 under 30, right? <laughs> right? Oh, yes, yes, yes. But, yes, but yes. you can, you can do extraordinary things um, on the other side of 50. And, and so that, that is something I'm studying now. Actually, I've got a paper about to come out on on what I call structure. It's, it's commonly called actually structural ageism in society. It's sort of a um, you know phenomenon that we're seeing everywhere. Uh, and I think I think we really are, we're starting. I think we have a long way to go um, in terms of acknowledging that. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, it, and um, when I would turn fifty. And I was in between breaks of doing the radio thing. I was trying to get into a job that I'd done before, that I was good at before. But there seems to be, at least in the United States, there seems to be some sort of barrier at 50. If you're younger than 50, you're on the rise. If you're older than 50, you're either stagnant or you're on your way down. Is it that way in Canada? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's a, yeah, it's a relatively international phenomenon. I mean... In my in my last uh, company, uh, you know, we had a partnership with a J Japan based company. So I would go to Tokyo and uh, I would see that culture being more, <laughs> um, more sort of uh, respectful uh, of the elderly in a, in a whole range of contexts. And so I, I do think there are some, you know, cultural phenomena that that uh, uh, make certain of the, the Asian countries a little different. Um, but no, this is a this is a structural phenomenon that's embedded in the workplace. Um, it's embedded in job ads, actually. I mean, it, it's really quite interesting if you start to comb through job ads, and you, you can even see sort of code words for um, uh, you know for 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 young recruits uh, as opposed to uh, as opposed to people who are older. So you know that being said, there there are new policies afoot around um, being sensitive to even having your uh, the, the on your on your CV on your resume having having the the years in which you worked so people are are aware of the phenomenon but it is uh, really wide widespread and uh, and can hurt a lot of people um, not just you know not just the people who are older but people who can really stand to benefit and and as you know we have work shortages in a whole range of, of sectors. Um, we could benefit enormously just in healthcare um, by uh, by recruiting uh, from older cohorts of people. Oh yeah, well, and I was a salesperson my most of my life, and then I found out that I couldn't get a job at fifty, and then I went to work for driving a bus, and I ended up making the interesting thing about that because it was a government agency, and so they had rules about uh, if you're fifty, it's okay. You, they didn't have rules against that uh, and or a uh, culture that that didn't that frowned on that practice so and so that was perfectly fine and uh, I, a 50 year old guy drives a great does a great job driving the bus I did a, a real 10 years of uh, accident free and all that kind of showed up every day for work and all that kind of stuff so it was a good deal for them and it was a good deal for me and it worked out really well. But I couldn't get a job in the private sector, and it doesn't make any sense to me. But that's you know what do you do? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the, the 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 sector where people complain about it the most is is technology. Um, you, you know, there there there's a there's a sense that uh, 
our, our generation, there's a lack of awareness that our generation actually created the commercial web. <laughs> so we have, <laughs> we have a good, you know, not only, not, we, we may not be conversant in the latest and, and greatest, but we certainly have an understanding of what's been done before and what's failed. I mean, I look, I was investing in digital health companies in the, in the late 90s, most, most of them bombed. Um, and, and it actually was that learning as to why they bombed, um, which is really actually really interesting. And now today, when they're, you know, taking off, I mean, there's a lot of that institutional history, I think that, um, that uh, technology companies uh, miss out on uh, by not engaging with mentors, but it, but there's such a, a spectrum of, of, of firms out there. Um, and in many ways, I, you know, I think that uh, people are not aware of, of their, of their bias toward toward the uh, toward the elderly I think I think it's a subconscious bias um, that uh, many people hold well I gotta tell you kids I don't care if you're biased against it or not if you're going to be alive you're gonna get old there really is no option you're gonna you're gonna grow up and grow old or you're not gonna be here um, so and we're all part of the same cohort right like statistically I hang around with a lot of math people right <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and uh, you know, uh, at the Fields Institute in Toronto and elsewhere, and, and we look at numbers and, you know, statistically, we're, we're a blip in time. And the, the generations around, you know, that you know, we make a big deal about Generation uh, uh, Z, that's what we call it in Canada, <laughs> or Gen Z, um, <laughs> and, and, or, you know, Gen X and the Millennials and, and, and the Boomers and such. But, you know, we're all part of the same parcel in time. And the more we understand intergenerational empathy, um, something that I think was lacking in the er certainly the, the, the first two years of the pandemic, the more we, we, can, we can help all of us uh, economically and from a health perspective. I agree. And we have a, um, a listener who has a question for you, and I think it's a darn fine question. And so I want everybody to be have your pen and paper ready so you can write down some of these companies. And that would be, are there some companies that are known for being good at full age spectrum hiring? You know, it's an amazing question, and I don't know the answer to it. I'm going to investigate it. Um, what I do know is that there are, there, you know, See, it's really difficult to answer that question because there's a lot of companies that are sort of performative in the sense that, and that's a, that's good. That's an important signaling, right? Like, you know, they're 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 committed on paper to um, to sort of making sure they abide by the, the human rights legislation uh, locally, internationally. But are they known? I I I don't. I just can't. Um, I, I I can't uh, single any one out. I'm I'm going to have to investigate that. Um, but I, I certainly know, I mean, in, in our healthcare system in Canada, um, and there are a whole range of university-based um, uh, hospital institutions that are extremely um, uh, openly uh, committed to hiring from all age cohorts. And I think my theory there is simply because the research is, is, is coming out of those institutions. So University Health Network, for example, in Toronto. But I, I just don't know. Um, I, but it's a great question, and I'm going to in investigate. Well, thank you, Holly, for that. And, uh, you know, I th isn't it part of it is that as the... Um, 
as the wage or as the employment situation continues to tighten, I'm starting to see companies say, hey, matter of fact, in San, in San Diego, same type of bus company that I work for, they ha- are on the radio with an ad that says, hey, why don't you be a bus driver? We'll pay you $5,000 right out of the gate, and then we'll train nope. you, and then you're going to get paid this, and then you're going to get rich, and you're going to be happy. And isn't it a, a matter of dollar and cents? I mean, if people can't find people, they have to start opening up the floodgates. Indeed. I, you know, I've been spending some time in upstate New York. I've been seeing a, a lot of, uh, uh, ho- you know, ho- hotels that I need to stay at, um, yeah. you know, stretched for, for employment. I know certainly McDonald's and many of the large retailers have, have made a, a push on this. Um, yes, I think economics is, is going to demand, um, demand that. That being said, in the, the, there, there's still this sort of tendency within the w- within the, the high wage uh, occupations uh, to at least subconsciously discriminate against uh, against older people. We're going to have to really step up there um, uh, in North America. I, I agree because they if if you are like I had on my resume, I was a district sales manager. I was a national sales manager and all that kind of stuff, and I was applying for a salesman's job. And they were like, you, you've done, you've done all this management stuff, and you've traveled the country, and you've done all. Why would you want that job? It's like because I don't want to travel anymore, and I want to be home and and stuff. And they don't. Sometimes they don't let that click. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, in the context of sales, I mean, I, I that's a that's an especially odd conundrum. Not, not I mean, sales is a beautiful science, um, and. It really takes a lot of experience um, to understand the science of sales, the diligence of, uh, of process, and and especially you, you being an entrepreneur. I mean, sales is essentially entrepreneurial. You're you're you you know continuously fail, um, but you still plot on, and then and then you have success, and you need to be determined um, against that boulder of failure that often comes comes down at you. So even just the psychological toughness that you generate over time, having been a salesperson, is intensely valuable in terms of mentoring and coaching other salespeople. That's really true. That's really true. But what I found is a lot of guys that were in the hiring position, they didn't want to hire somebody who was more talented or had more experience than them because of there was an ego thing involved. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the old saying, right? It's uh, it's uh, A's hire A's and B's, you know, B's are very reticent or C's are very reticent to hire A's. Um, It's uh, it's it's really one of those work workplace truisms that keeps popping up everywhere and but you know when you think about it and if these people and you talk to some of the most uh, powerful uh, successful people in the world they will tell you that on a regular basis they hire people smarter than they are Oh because absolutely, <laughs> you don't have a choice. <laughs> I mean, it's just it, to, to do otherwise. It's just I, I mean, it's just nonsensical to me. I mean, really, I mean, my goal in life has always been to surround myself by just extraordinarily interesting, talented people from a diverse array of, of perspectives, uh, uh, you know, um, and those around me, uh, they, they tend, we tend to self-select, right? Um, I call them mutts, right? Uh, mutts. We, we tend to self-select. So it's not only smart and in intelligence and an IQ perspective, but it's just people who have 
made extraordinary accomplishments in different areas. And it's when those areas come together that innovation can bloom. Exactly. And uh, by the way, we, we're talking with Neil Seaman. And uh, tell us about your books. It's, uh, where can they find you, uh, all of your work? Thanks. So um, I, I could point you to Google <laughs> um, or Amazon. I look at, at Accelerated Minds, which is my most recent uh, book uh, on entrepreneurship. That's in physical bookstores everywhere, Barnes and Noble everywhere. Um, and of course, on Amazon or uh, on my website, uh, neilcman.com. It's published by Sutherland House Books. Um, and uh, it, it, it's it's been, you know, I people write books for all sorts of reasons. And this was a book that I had to write. Um, and the the best thing about this book was actually that, you know, the post book conversation. Uh, I've been talking with entrepreneurs from different areas, including, of course, the arts um, uh, from around the world and speaking with them very openly about their mental health struggles. And I've been learning from them um, about uh, the challenges and the solutions that they deploy um, to take care of themselves a little better. And, um, and I've been teaming up with some really interesting people to uh, ad address this. And that's been a great journey. What do you find are some of the most difficult uh, mental issues that entrepreneurs have? So, yeah, I mean, on the, so just scientifically, right. We know that, the brains of entrepreneurs are super sensitive to the chemical dopamine. It's the chemical my dad studied all his life. Um, and that, that can get out, out of whack. It can race too fast. And, and we can, we often want to chase that er, early high and that can lead to what we know to be very scary statistics. Um, but, uh, twice uh, the rate of, of um, hospitalization for major depression and suicide, anywhere from three to 10 times the rate of bipolar disorder, um, staggering degrees of, uh, of, of, of anxiety, which is very, very common um, among entrepreneurs. Um, so these are the clinical conditions. But your question is more fundamental because in general words, I've been really looking for what is it that entrepreneurs really struggle with? What is the common thing? And the common thing is that every business is always in a state of extreme fragility or failure. So you're dealing with the chaos of imminent failure. And yet on the outside, you need to project or you feel you need to project success, however that definition means to you, whether whether it's uh, financial growth, customers, um, fundraising, money. And so you're always, you're always struggling with that and you're worried about being sort of unmasked. Um, I, I call it, uh, I call it the Stratlater problem. Stratlater was Holden Caulfield's um, sort of roommate at Pensy Hall and Catcher in the Rye. And he he always looked so handsome when he would go out, you know, on Saturday nights. But in, inside, Holden knew him to be just really fragile and a, and a slob. And that, you know, that's the essence of, of business. It's always on a on a cliff and it's chaotic. And so that's the problem set. 
And then there's a, just a universe of interesting ways that people deal with that. And I, I, I think there's a few common ones that, that are, are quite, quite helpful. Quite helpful in a good way or. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, so what, 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 I mean, on at one level, I've learned that a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs are really empowered by the statistic, knowing that they're not alone. So that that's great. You know, I, I had one gentleman call me up and he said, look, you saved my marriage because now my spouse is aware of all the statistical probably <laughs> why I behave the way I do. But the tools and techniques um, are, are some of the ones that are the most common um, are what I call either structured or unstructured journaling. So, you know, unstructured journaling, just writing your thoughts, putting them down, um, however chaotic they may be, but making sure you do that on a regular basis every day. Structured is, is more about things like expressing gratitude for someone, something in your life on a regular basis. It could be about documenting in a journal your greatest fear and then coming back to that a week later and, and writing down that your greatest fear did not materialize and what did happen. So these are some techniques. Um, you know, there's a lot of hacks out there um, as, as well, but, uh, you know, from cold therapy to, um, uh, you know, to others that I actually believe in, by the way, like 15 minutes of forced laughter every day. I, 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 do, I do believe that that does can be incredibly curative. I, I, you know, that in and of itself is if you will just take the time and laugh and watch Robin Williams or a great comedian or, or something and spend 10 or 15 minutes doing that, it lightens the load, I, I think, and makes you feel a lot more capable of taking on the lions and the dragons and all the stuff you have to face every day. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the, the, exactly, you know, battling the demons through laughter is very powerful. I mean, even the mere, the, the mere existence of, of sitting uh, 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 amid um, a chaotic enterprise, um, an entrepreneurial enterprise is just empirically hilarious, right? Like it, it's so if you can stand apart from that and if you can look upon what you've you've built, why you've built it, think about your goals, but at the same time have some mirth and humor around all the 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 you know the high highs and the low lows that you have uh, twice a day. I mean, it it genuinely can be hilarious. And you, you know what's funny about that is you've got some of the funniest people on the planet who also have uh, bouts of depression and things as a comic because it's a tough way to make a living and for a myriad of reasons. I guess we're all kind of broken in a bit of a way, aren't we? Yeah, except those who are not unaware of it, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the the human brain is is look. I, I mean, it's it's scarcely understood. We've been at it for a while, but you know, um, the 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 thing is about mental health. I call myself a mental health advocate, and I, which I I am, and I've I. I've been sort of thinking about that term and how, how do I define myself as a mental health advocate? And it's really simple when it comes down to it. All it means is that I, I'm on a journey like so many others to put mental health on the same plane as physical health. That's, that's really it. Um, and, and, and 
what this journey, uh, having written this book, um, having it, you know, got attention across North America and across the world, and is really uh, it, what it's been empowering in is um, the sort of the vulnerability. You know, when, as entrepreneurs, we really often we admire people who are vulnerable, but we're often the most resistant to talk about our mental health. Uh, of frailties because we have all these incentives not to right we've got to we we've got to sort of present ourselves as stoic so stoic superheroes to raise money and to present ourselves as strong to our employees amidst crises but you know i found myself when you know when i was a ceo uh of the company i founded uh, you know amid amid the pandemic i found i found that sharing my own challenges was was very um emboldening i think for the people around me i think they they appreciated that um and so that just that process of sharing uh, can be can be really uh really powerful you know what i found in my in my career is that if you're open and honest and not trying to put on the bravado and when things are tough, you say that they're tough, the, you get buy-in and you get people who like you, who appreciate you, that are willing to go to a farther step or to really gather around and to support you in a way that they, if they didn't know that that was happening, they couldn't because they didn't know. But, yeah. a, lot of, but a lot yeah. of them will jump in. Yeah, you know, my leadership, uh, my leadership coach, uh, he, 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 he impressed upon me the adage, right, that leadership is about letting letting your people down at the rate they can handle, right, and and it's a continuous process. I think w one of the failures in political leadership um, and around around the world in many places has been that lack of authenticity and a lack of being honest with the public about how bad things are whether you know you know especially with respect to the economy i think i mean you know there's only so much statistics that can be uh, ginnied up let's just say to to make the economy look pretty when the economics of just walking about tells you that people are in pain um, and they can't afford housing and they can't afford to make ends meet. And we, we, you know, we, we have over a third of Canadians living from paycheck to paycheck and, and worried about uh, their, you know, and these are working, these are working Canadians. I'm not talking about the, 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 the Canadians who, who are um, uh, uh, unbanked and don't have a bank, don't have a shelter. So, you know, people are in pain. And so that authenticity um, I think it was certainly lacking um, uh, during the first two years of the pandemic. Um, and I, I think we need to inject some some brutal candor um, in, um, in, in in political leadership. No, none of them want to be blamed for anything. And even if it happened on their watch, like the pandemic, I don't know if somebody could have come up with a magic bullet a little bit sooner or whatever, but it was tough. I mean, and, but nobody wanted to take responsibility for the fact that they were in charge when it happened. And I don't know if in, at least in, I don't know if Trudeau does this in Canada or if you've noticed this, but a lot of guys will regard when something happened on a, like a, a Republican president's watch. Um, and it's 10, 10 years ago, they will pretend that it didn't happen that way. Because they don't want their party to be blamed for what happened, and it, it happens on the other side as well. So it's 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 interesting that that nobody wants to get blamed for anything. 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a fundamental leadership problem in politics and outside of politics. Uh, you know, it's a, well, you know, what do you do when you take over the helm? Well, you, you blame the previous administration or previous yeah. management, and then um, and, and and then you know, and then sequentially uh, take take you have to take ownership. Um, but this is um, yeah, this is a problem endemic to to leadership. But look, some are really amazing at it, and the best in the world. Uh, I know no I know many uh, who lead with courageous authenticity um, and rally rally people around them because of that um, and celebrate success. I mean that that's the the other side of the coin, right? You, so only only when you you have your team around you and you've been authentic about the challenges can they rally to the enormous success when you get there. Um, and, and it's how you build trust and we all know trust is fraying in our society in so many ways. Well, you know, we've been talking with uh, Neil uh, Seaman, and I got to ask you, you are a smart guy. You do a lot of research. You're well-learned. You do national talks in front of major organizations. Where are you going next? What would you like to do? Because you, you know enough and you know enough people to be able to decide, okay, I want to learn about this and I want to be part of this. Where is that for you? Yeah, I want to really help. I don't want to disrupt. I don't like that word disrupt anymore. <laughs> I want to help fix the content creation problem and properly help just be a part of an ecosystem to help reward people who are producing great creative content um, uh, in different formats um, essentially make, make, make money from it. And so that, in, that, that involves technology that involves a, a new uh, business venture that, uh, that I am working on. Um, at the same time, I, I love mentorship. Uh, I'm heavily involved in mentorship initiatives at, at the university and elsewhere here in Toronto. Um, and I, I get a, a big, uh, a big thrill out of that. I, and I'm, I'm writing another book, um, on international business, a subset of that. Um, and so I, I get a, a great deal of pleasure out of writing and, and communicating, you know, my dad uh, who passed away, uh, two years ago, he, you know, he always said you spend the first half of your life learning and the second half, uh, trying, just trying to teach. And so that, that's what I like to do. Well, you are an extraordinary guy. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, when you're talking about the internet and, and profitizing it and changing it and stuff like that. So if, if you're a content creator like me, you had some very positive news to share with that. And you said, you said, basically, you told me, keep going. Great things are coming. Great things are happening. I mean, look, what I can say is the smartest people in the world are working on this problem. Um, there, uh, there's certainly a lot of money. Uh, on this problem. Um, big tech is scared and they should be um, because there are new ways of making money that doesn't simply monetize the user through ad tech. Um, and that is is tremendously exciting. Um, and as people around the world, uh, and I should say uh, across a diverse political spectrum, uh, look at this issue. Um, we can all agree uh, that uh, content creators um, are, are just simply not being rewarded the way they should. And they're hard driving entrepreneurs. They're the quintessential entrepreneur as I write in my book. And uh, they need to be properly rewarded uh, in the interests of prosperity. 
I couldn't agree more with that. Thank you. (laughs) That's my soapbox for today. Thank you for indulging it, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool because, you know, the the reality is it is hard. It is. And it takes um, it takes a lot of effort um, and a lot of stick to itiveness. Um, and like in the podcasting world or right now in the record world in the in the music world or even in the book world there are it's really hard and a lot of it's based upon algorithms of of stuff that we have no idea where they come from or or what they mean or or how we can attach ourselves to them or any of that kind of stuff it makes it really hard yeah i think i i i mean i i i think we're at an interesting moment in time i think podcasting is a really interesting genre of course that's uh, skyrocketed over the last few years um podcasting has injected a level of um like gravitas let's call it to and seriousness to a lot of of conversations um and i i suspect I, I see a world where podcasters are increasingly influential um and impactful in in the public square uh, of debate um so i you know i look i'm 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 very uh, optimistic maybe i'm incurably optimistic but i think this is a problem that that needs to be um needs to be solved I agree, because there's a lot of really interesting people. Well, the other thing I would say, Neil, is this. There are some, well, I've done over 2,000 interviews now. And in the course of that time, and you among them, there are some remarkably positive, intelligent people who need to be heard from, not just the super famous who, who can act or take their clothes off in the screen or whatever they do. You know, we need people that are like you that that can really add something to the fabric of the discussion. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, we need to enlighten the world um, and empower uh, the, the quiet, the the, the quiet, the quiet voices, quiet, uh, you know, the the, the quiet cre- creators um, among us. I mean, and and we all know so many extraordinary people. So how do we amplify those voices and and uh, get them heard? I. You know, we, we live in a culture of short-termism um, and celebrity, uh, you know, the so-called Kardashian effect. But people are are reacting against that now. Like, people mm-hmm. really want substance. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I certainly see that in the book world. Um, and uh, I, I, I suspect we're going to see it elsewhere, too. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, uh, from your mouth to God's ears, may it happen quickly, please. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> is there anything else that you'd like to mention? I, I your website again is neilseaman.com. Yeah, my name neilseaman.com. You can Google me, uh, hit me up, uh, email. I, I I try for my own mental health protection to limit myself on social media. I am on LinkedIn. Um, uh, half of my followers on Twitter, I've learned, are robots or inhuman in some way. So I don't recommend that as a vehicle for communication for me personally. Um, but hey, I, I, the other thing I'd just like to leave you with is a is a thank you. I mean, Kevin, it's really fantastic. We've never met in person. We've had two conversations. They've been deeply meaningful to me. So thank you to you and what you're doing with Positive Talk Radio. Um, I, I just think it's highly differentiated in the marketplace, and and it's extraordinarily uh, empowering for for me and for your listeners. And I really and you 
you have to come back. Will you come back again? Yes, I will. I'm I'm back. I'm I'm your I'm your voice from Toronto. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm yeah. You I'm you here. are you're a learned man. You know a lot of stuff about a lot of different things. You've worked all the way around the world, and you've done some really cool stuff. And I really appreciate having you here because we can all learn from people like you. And uh, I appreciate it. Thank you, Kevin. I really enjoyed learning from you. Um, and let's let's keep in touch. Indeed, indeed. So thank you very much. Uh, we've been talking with Neil Seaman. Go to his website, which is neilseaman.com. He's got several books that are out there, and you can find all kinds of things. And if you're an entrepreneur um, and you're interested in your own mental health, unlike Friday nights when you, you, you don't have enough money to pay your employees and you're trying to figure it out and stuff, um, and your mental health is going down the, the shitter, as it were, um, get his book. It can help you. So I appreciate that. So, Neil, anything else you'd like to add before we go? No, but that was the greatest close in the history of podcasting. <laughs> As it's, well, have you, you, cause you've been there as an entrepreneur. Oh no, yeah, no, I, I, I like it. I like it. I really do. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, hardest, you know, hardest, but also best job ever. Right. Um, so, you know, there's nothing more rewarding than nurturing a, a commercial venture from, from birth uh, to uh, longevity, but it is, uh, it's brutally hard, uh, but in tremendously rewarding. Indeed, indeed. So thank you so much again, Neil. And I really appreciate you being here. And, uh, and if you wait right there, I'll be right the back. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another because each other's all we got.